Welcome to Cartwheels on the Sky, Poets, Poems, and Discoveries. Hi, and welcome to Cartwheels on the Sky, Poets, Poems, and Discovery. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and for the next 30 minutes, you're going to get a glimpse into the poems and process of Michelle Peñaloza. Michelle Peñaloza is the author of Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire, and that is the winner of the 2018 Hilary Gravensteig National Poetry Prize. She is also the author of two chapbooks, Landscapes Heartbreak and Last Night I Dreamt of Volcanoes. The recipient of fellowships and awards from the University of Oregon and Kundiman, Michelle has also received support from Lemon Tree House, Caldera, Four Culture, Literary Arts, Vana, Voices, and the Bread Loaf Writers Conference, among many others. The proud daughter of Filipino immigrants, Michelle was born in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. She now lives in rural Northern California in Covalo Round Valley. I hope you enjoy the conversation she and I had earlier this week. Michelle Pinaloza, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me on Cartwheels on the Sky. Do you want to start us off with Thanks a poem? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Do you want to sure. start us off with a poem? Yeah. I can start us off with a poem. Let's start with this one. Just saying. I'm sorry I ate all the beef jerky. I know you wanted some, but I ate it all. It was salty and chewy and delicious. You make fun of me for turning everything into a poem. Farming's taught me how hard it is to actually turn anything that runs on a gas motor. The ditch witch and the rototiller pull you forward and only in the direction you choose to go first. A pull in only one direction is what I feel most these days, why I stuff my face with beef jerky. We've sunk our money into the ground hoping what grows will turn into money and that money will turn into the life we're trying to grow. Calm down. I'm not talking kids, but I am trying to talk about something, something like abundance, which comes from Latin abundantia, meaning overflowing, like the way you fill our cups with water each night and place them on our nightstands because we need to stay hydrated. I'm always wanting and needing so much. Can need be overflowing? Can need brim over? I'm sure there's something here I could relate to farming, how it's not about transformation so much as moving mass, pallets of dirt, buckets of compost tea, from one place to another, the wheelbarrow always in use, never resting, full of seabird pellets, with so much depending not upon it, but on the strength or weakness of our arms on any given day. These days, I don't write anything down, but I listen. I actually hear the sound wings make when birds fly. What else could be more like a poem? 
Maybe that face you made when I did not answer when you asked, what happened to all the beef jerky? Bravo. (laughs) That's that William Carlos Williams riff off that. I really enjoy your take. That is fantastic. I assume that was written for your husband? Uh, Yeah. Yes, it was. It was written for me, but, you know, but he's in there. He was the you. <laughs> so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you came to poetry? Uh, I'm a Filipino-American. I was born in the suburbs of Detroit and grew up in the suburbs of Nashville, mostly, and also in the city of Nashville. I came to poetry, I think, first, definitely as a reader, and it wasn't until college when I took uh, classes wherein I actually read poets. I was introduced to poets who looked more like me than anyone I'd ever been able to study before, anyone that was ever presented me by any teachers. I didn't really see any Asian-American poets or read any Asian-American poets um, until I was in college, you know, nearly Uh 20. And um, I feel like that was the first time uh, that Lee Young Lee's book, um, Rose, was the first full collection I ever read by an Asian American wow. writer. And um, so that book, along with several others, um, you know, Marilyn Chin, um, The Poet I, um, Garrett Hongo, you know, I feel like those faces, along with their words, gave me permission to write that I didn't know that I needed and that I never had received before or, you know, um, yeah, because I've always been a reader my whole life, although lately not so much. Pandemic time, really much more TV time for me. It's hard for me to read lately. But, uh, but yeah, um, that's sort of how I came to poetry um, in, in one sense. And in another, um, one time I, I often answer this question by, you know, of course, in a roundabout poet way of relaying an anecdote. I was in the workshop of a a poet one time, and she began the workshop by asking everyone in the class, what hurt you into poetry? And I don't think that that's that's the case for everyone, but for me, you know, that's a really resonant question. Um, And I feel like, you know, there's there's a, that could be a whole 22-minute conversation just uh, that question. So I'll let you <laughs> ask more. But, no, um, but I mean, I think that that is way of, such an insightful way of putting it. Because even if it's just the, the realization of being sensitive and not seeing other people around you being sensitive and just the pain from that can lead you to poetry. It's that desire to communicate what, for me, I know when I first started writing poetry, my mom used to say, God, I thought you were a happy person. You're always writing about death and <laughs> despair. <laughs> Poor uh, mothers of poets. Um, my mom often asks me what I'm so angry about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Do you have any poems to, to speak to that? <laughs> Is there something that comes to mind? Oh, yeah, that's a great segue. Here's this one. This is from my book, uh, Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire. And this poem is titled, Letter from My Mother. Dear Bunso, fall settled in the backyard today. I finally turn on the heat inside the house. It gets so drafty. Maybe I should get someone to seal the windows. Maybe you can do it next time you visit. The green herons have stopped visiting my pond, and the cattails you broke apart this summer are gone. The maples, though, they look like they're on fire. I was single the first time I saw fall, you know. 
single and newly arrived, so many leaves, so many new colors of leaves. Did I tell you? Wally's planning a fall wedding. She's picked the bridesmaid's dresses. I hope you like orange. Be nice. Don't complain to your cousin. Maybe you and Alex should start some planning. Fall is a fine time. Did I ever tell you the time Daddy took me on a hayride? He picked the fallen oak and maple leaves from my hair. I think we carved pumpkins that day. I know we drank warm cider under a cold sun. Enough that day like a postcard. I went to Meyer today. They had pumpkins for sale and a deal on apple cider, two gallons for $4. I bought some mowing spices for you. Kumain kaba? Have you been eating? What did you make Alex for dinner? Remember, be patient and kind. Even though you aren't married, love is all kindness and patience. Daddy, always that way. Have you bought any pumpkins? Maybe I'll buy one for myself this year. I haven't carved a pumpkin since you were a little girl. Lately, I thought a decade is a long and not long time. I'm getting old. I feel it when I climb the stairs before bed. But don't worry. I go on walks. I did some Tai Chi yesterday. Maybe show me how to yoga when you come home for Christmas. You still have lots to learn from me. What I know fills books. That's what they say, right? You could write about me, about things that happened to me. I'll send you poem ideas. The other day, a bird with a snake in its mouth crashed into the blazer's windshield. Talk about symbolism. You should write a poem about that. Or your cousin Andrew, who's too stubborn to speak. Or Lola and Daddy. You should write poems about them. Oh, I know what you'll say. They're dead, Ma. Let them be dead. But you're more like me than you'd like. I'll be glad for you to come home, Bunsa. For now, I'll watch Dancing with the Stars with your Tita Nora. Watch for the birds that are left. Wonderful. See, I love some of the things that your mother says to you and your responses. You really do capture <laughs> that sense. When, How does uh, she feel when she oh, shows Oh, she loves that poem. She loves it. She loves that. She calls that, like when I did my book launch in uh, Seattle, uh, last uh, summer, she came from Michigan and, um, you know, she came to all three events that I had and she was there, you know, proud mom and all of them. And she loves that poem because that's like, that's her poem. You know, she's like, and when I was, like, uh, you know, asking her, what should I read at this event? She's like, you should read my poem because everyone likes the poem you wrote about me. <laughs> so, yeah. For some reason, it made me think of this poem. Can I read you a poem that I wrote from my mother? Because mothers come up so much. It's called Migrations. Today, behind the grocery store, I saw a whale hop straight up. Two of them, in fact. A mother and a baby. On Mother's Day, no less. Dislodging the calm blue, as if they were late for brunch with the sky. As I was for my phone call. Driving too fast, perhaps thinking about calories and foxgloves, how my mother's smile makes each day somehow easier, more complete, how much I wish it was closer than 2,400 miles away. Today I am learning patience again, how to navigate from rough to unruffled, to keep my voice steadfast, heart deep in the earth 
of myself. Even when I'm pounding to get out of this tiny geometry, there are no stars bigger than a moment, no book louder than the call of self-beckoning, like the sun as it returns to warm my skin after days of hiding in the clouds. Mm, nice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Our mother. I love the tiny, the tiny geometry. I like that. Thank you. So it's such an interesting dance to be a poet. Do you ever sometimes wish, I just wish I were simpler? Uh, I think I'm pretty simple. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I mean, I hear, I, I hear, you know, I feel some um, affinity with what you're saying, but I think that, I think I used to, I guess I don't think so much about, I, I mean, I write poems and I am a poet, but I don't, and it is a part of my identity, but I, I guess I don't hold it in that way particularly. I, I think when I was younger, I did, like, mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, like, oh, I, like yeah, the I don't know. But I, yeah, and I don't really feel that way so much anymore. Like, I um, I think that I, I find for my own tastes and myself that preciousness is something I find a little cloying. Uh-huh. As, as I age, uh-huh. um, and and now I'm, you know, I'm I'm interested more in, um, less about like, oh, what does it mean for me to be holding this, and and just more looking at like my hands and what is it I am holding, you know, because right. um, right. meaning is there. You don't have to like, I don't think you have to scry for it so much. You know, right. it really is there, and I guess. You know, I think that, um, you know, when I teach, I talk to my students about how being a writer, so much of it, I mean, obviously it's writing. You're not a writer unless you're doing that work, but so much of it also happens um, before you get to the page. Mm. Um, Or, yeah, I mean, it's it's about seeing with, as you were saying, you know, with with sort of, I'm using bunny fingers here, poet eyes, quotation fingers, but... But I think part of that is like is just being willing to not only see those things but like follow them towards something. In other words, you observe and the best thing to do is get out of the way of what you're observing and bring it forth. Yeah, I, I mean I think it's a balance, you know, of like being open to those things and then also not taking yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the preciousness um feels different as I get older, maybe. When did you start first calling yourself a poet? I guess when I got into grad school, Uh like I didn't, I guess I needed that like outside validation. Like I would just say like, oh, I write poems sometimes, you know, and then I I went, I got into an MFA program and I was like, oh, I'm a poet. I don't know. (laughs) I think that uh, there's all, what does that even really mean? Like it, I started thinking of myself as a poet, I would say, when I was studying poetry and really seriously writing, where it was like literally my daily goal and object and task and all of that. Um, right. I think that was like a concentrated moment in my life, which I'm very grateful for and feel very privileged to have had, because there's something about being able to write without having to like, you know, I was really, really privileged and lucky. I went to a program that was fully funded. And so I didn't, I mean, money was still a thing because even fully funded, you still have to eat. But, um, you know, like it, it was a real gift to not have 
to hold daily life in in a certain way that I, right. you know, haven't really ever had that opportunity again, except maybe for like a residency here or there. But, you right. know, I, I feel like for me, my task now is like trying to find that focus within the dailiness of, of life without having to be like, oh, I have to go to a residency or, oh, I have to be in a program in order to focus in that way. Do you find one of the biggest challenges with being a poet is that the income stream for a poet is not the same as it is for other things that people classify themselves as? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think all artists in general, I mean, like, what? I mean, even famous poets, yeah. again, with the bunny fingers, famous poets <laughs> that we study, like Wallace Stevens was like an insurance administrator and William Carlos Williams was a gynecologist, you know, like, no one, unless you're independently wealthy or, you know, don't need very much, like, no, who makes their money being just a poet? Most poets are teachers. Hey, you want to share another poem? Sure. Let's do this one. I'll read an abecedarian, which is um, a poem where every, the first letter of every line, you know, going down the page is in alphabetical order. Attempts at order. Alora buys you a little time for the throat clearing before boredom or a butterfly or the business of dailiness creeps into the art you're trying to render into something before dinner must be made. It's too late. You've launched into a poem. Expectations have been set, like in school. A is always better than, forget this. I'm interested in parameters, but my dead, my loving ghost, Keep returning without any attention to boundaries, helicoptering over my head, indivisible and impatient. Immigrants all carry ghosts like balloons ready to pop in July heat, though some are good at ignoring that squeak of rubber. Kitchen ghosts are predominant in my family, lamenting in the rice cooker, chuckling in the chicken bones. My mother rarely spends time in the kitchen the older she gets. No one asks her to cook anymore. Her tongue, heavy and beautiful. Opal is her birthstone, pale and shining, both hot and cold, parameters of fire and ice in one gem. My mother no longer questions aloud the decisions I've made. In our older ages, she's resigned, it seems, to the, fact of how, to the facts of how her daughter, me, sails through the world. That is to say, not often, unless you transform the informal idiom, taking into account how very unglamorous and actually difficult sailing is. It looks very hard, doesn't it? I've never been a great swimmer. What wisdom can we wrangle from our failures? Oh, to x-ray our mistakes to some kind of lesson. Yes, that'd be useful. Yet instead, there is remembering and forgetting zigging and zagging towards some ideal, towards some order that makes sense. That's wonderful. I would love to see that on the page and watch the way the alphabet comes through. I would just love that. Maybe you can send that to me so I can look at it. Has your writing, your practice, anything changed during the shelter in place and the way the world is different right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess, Yeah, of course. I mean, I, 
I think for me, um, I have not been writing as much. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people, I feel like, you know, I'm on social media probably more than I've ever been. Um, And I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, I'm writing my novel now and I finished all these things and these home projects. And for me, you know, I'm just sort of, um, I feel like I'm in a space of listening more than producing of, um, you know, living and surviving more than um, trying to, I I guess a a lot of what's going on for me is sort of questioning, and I think poets do this anyway, because capital isn't really a part of the exchange often of doing any of the work that we do. Um, But trying to, you know, examine and sort of um, evaluate or reevaluate what, you know, what what value or what process really means. Like, you know, I feel like there's all of this pressure, especially, um, you know, in the U.S. to produce constantly, to prove your worth by way of productivity. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I'm trying to hold this for myself, but also thinking about this, like how our value isn't connected to our, or shouldn't be connected to our productivity, but maybe more our you know, our mutual um, involvement in community or it's it's less about producing stuff and, and maybe more about being present. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like oh, as no. I'm saying all this. Yeah, I think that I think what lofty, you're saying is but... so wise. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I know that whole idea you're only as good as the last thing you produced and the pressure on artists at times to keep producing because, oh, I did that, but that was so long ago. What am I doing right now? And you kind of have no laurels to stand on in any ways. That's the creative urge. And I think you're right that that's, I mean, it's not just artists who feel that way. It's kind of everybody. And where is that just that stillness and that presence that, oh, gosh, I'm in a body and I'm breathing. (laughs) Guess what? That's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And I haven't hurt anybody Mm -hmm. today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've actually helped people Mm -hmm. today. So I completely Mm -hmm. think that that is such a true statement. So I am looking at the clock and I'm realizing we're running out of time and I want to make sure that listeners can find out more about you. How do they do that? Um, you can go to my website, which is uh, michellepeniloza.com, uh, and it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-P-E-N-A-L-O-Z-A.com. Uh, and you can find um, links to my books there. I have three. Um, the first one is – or the uh, two chat books, and then um, my first full-length collection – um, former Possession of the Spanish Empire, and then my two chapbooks are uh, Landscape Heartbreak, which is a project I did in Seattle where um, people took me to places to, for walks to places where they'd had their hearts broken, oh. and I wrote poems based on that. And then my other chapbook, um, which is Last Night I Dreamt of Volcanoes, and all that information is on my website. But I think if you just um, Google my name, um, poems will come up. And you can find out more that way. Um, Yeah. Perfect. Why don't you take us out with a poem? Okay. Um, Let's do... I'll try to pick a shorter one. Um, Well, no, those are too long. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Um, 
a good closer. Let's do let's do this one. Um, we'll do the title poem from my first collection or my first fully collection. Former possessions of the Spanish Empire. People name us with the separation of their teeth, the long V of our naming. It used to be we were named for our proximity. Kato Tabing Dagat, the parentage of the sea, the forest lineage, Kato Ginubatan. Where we were named for our parents, Anak Nilina Bunso Niboyet. The song of our names led to the discovery of garlic growing from our palms, the scapes forming a second green hand. But it was in the name of good King Philip that songs changed to names and the naming of names became law. A governor general made a name for himself with the Catalogo de Apellidos, a dissemination of empire, a naming of parts to trace and tax everyone. Whole provinces renamed with efficient alphabetical phenomena. Badia, Pacheco, Palma, Paz, Perez, Portillo, Puente, Peñalosa. Still, there were names we kept to ourselves, a shorthand between us. Windows lined with votives, jars of holy water, the papaya's lush coral and beaded seeds, shining fish row. Can legacy exist in shorthand? Papal, papa, papel, papaya, paalam, permission, please. What are the root words for what we simply know? How do children born of empire, once removed, possess the history of their naming? Thank you so much. It's just been a pleasure to listen to you read and to talk with you. Fabulous poem. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for, um, you know, doing a show that highlights poetry and and bringing that to people. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to more from you. And uh, thank you <laughs> for your voice yeah, and your you. presence and your ability to bring it all together and your non-precious sensitivity. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, you know, I try. Well, I don't know how how uh, consistent that is, but that's a, that's a goal anyway. Mm, well, thank you so much. And that was the voice of Michelle Pinazola poet from Covalo, Willits area, and just a really beautiful human being. It's really a pleasure to listen to her, read her poetry, and share her perspective. So stay tuned for more great programming right here on KGUA Wallala. And next week, I'll be back with local poet who is now in Los Angeles, but born and raised right here on the coast between Wallala and Fort Bragg, Jasper Henderson. So do tune in again next week and have a wonderful evening. Thanks so much for listening. Love